Good morning. Friends, when you're a child and you don't know the answer to something, you ask an adult. When you're an adult and you don't know the answer to something, you ask Google. How do you change a tire? What really is tofu? How do you tie a tie? How many ounces are in a cup? Where can I vote? Who will win the Super Bowl? What does it mean to be a Presbyterian? This month, we have been asking faith questions that one might Google. Does everything really happen for a reason? Is everything in scripture true? Does God help those who help themselves? So this morning, we are asking another question in the same vein. Does God give us more than we can handle? So as we prepare, I invite you now to listen to scripture. Listen for what God might be saying to you today. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can't be certain, but I would bet that most families have their own little catchphrases. I know my family does. For example, when I was young and we would come home from school or the grocery store and pull into the driveway, my mom would say, home again, home again, and my brother and I in the back seat would say, jiggity-jig. Yes, you know it. <laughs> Strange nursery rhyme. Or there's the way my family says, bless your heart. You see, my parents were raised in the South, so in our house, the phrase, bless your heart, really means, well, that is just about the dumbest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> or there is the way we often say, I love you. As I've told you before, we'll sometimes say, have I told you today? And the other person will respond with, not too many times. It's a phrase that we've adopted from my great-grandparents. They used to say that back and forth. Have I told you today that I loved you? Not too many times. Never too many times. And then there's the times when someone in my family will say the words, I said, I said. And the other person has to respond with, you the best. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. It was probably some silly chant that we came up with on a long car ride that made us laugh until our sides hurt. So even now, years later, my dad can say on the phone, I said, I said, and he knows that I will say, you the best. I imagine your family has them too. Catchphrases, nicknames, inside jokes, terms of endearment. Phrases that help us make sense of one another and the world around us. The church does as well. Over time,
time, Christians have developed phrases and wording around our faith. Many of these phrases are biblical, others theological. Phrases such as, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, WWJD, or let go and let God. Comedian John Christ has an entire bit on the different phrases Christians will use simply to say no. (laughs) He jokes that when you become a Christian, not only do you get God's saving grace and eternal love, but you also inherit a list of ways to say no that makes you sound incredibly spiritual while simultaneously turning someone down. (laughs) Some of the phrases he jokes about are, I'm just afraid that's not God's will. Or, I'm feeling led in a different direction. (laughs) I really don't feel the spirit prompting me on this one. Or, I just don't know that I'm in that season of life. And then there's my all-time favorite. Let me pray on it and get back to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We've all been there. We develop catchphrases because they help us make sense of the world around us. We say things like, turn the other cheek and God won't give you more than you can handle because we tend to find comfort or guidance in these words. The only problem with phrases like that is they often comfort the speaker more than the receiver, and they often aren't biblical. Today's sermon is focusing on the question, does God give us more than we can handle? It's a complicated question, because most often it's a question that deals with a complicated matter, suffering. And when it comes to suffering, we reach for catchphrases that will help us make sense of things faster than we can blink. It's why the words, everything happens for a reason and God won't give you more than you can handle are household sayings. That's also why it's so important to slow down and look at the text for today. The text we read this morning is credited with the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle which would make you think that this passage deals with suffering, but that's actually not what it's talking about. In this passage, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. In the 12 verses before what we read today, Paul pauses his preaching to tell a story about ancient Israel. He starts the story by speaking about Israel being God's people, led by Moses, under God's protection, It would have been a familiar narrative, likely even comforting to the Corinthians. But when Paul tells this familiar story, he sprinkles in modern language not found in the Torah, which would have reflected what the early church would have known and valued at that time. Terms such as baptized into one cloud and guided by the rock that is Christ. I can only imagine that that was a strategic move on Paul's part to draw a connection between Israel and modern-day Corinthians listening. In other words, Paul wasn't saying, remember those people you've read about? Paul was saying, remember those people we belong to? The Israelites are our ancestors. 
This is our history. This is not just story time. This is our story. And from there, Paul goes on to speak about temptation, which is where we found ourselves today. Paul reminds the Corinthians that God has always been faithful, but Israel often got it wrong. The Israelites forgot who provided manna and quail in the desert for them. They melted together their gold to form a golden calf, creating idols. They begged for a king. They fought and quarreled. They doubted beyond doubt. God was faithful. The Israelites often were not. So Paul is preaching to the Corinthians, and he's telling this story, and he's saying, this is our story, so let's learn from it. Let's be better. But the good news is, God will be faithful, and God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about temptation, about their choices, about their lives as people of faith. Paul is trying to empower the Corinthians to be faithful Christians to a faithful God. This is not a conversation around suffering. This is an empowering conversation around living a faithful life. It seems to me that over the years we have taken the words, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can omitted the word tempted, shrugged off the context, and inserted the words give and handle, so that the phrase, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, a commentary on temptation, has turned into, God will not give you more than you can handle, a commentary on suffering. Those are different things. So what is the impact of us colloquially altering the text like that? I fear it's significant. When we rewrite scripture, we lose what Paul was trying to say all along, which is that we belong to God and God has always been faithful, so we are invited to be faithful back. When we rewrite scripture, We lose that message and instead adopt a message that portrays God as a God who doles out suffering for our character development. God is no longer a personal God of relationship and belonging, but a distant being who is keeping track of who among us is strong enough to handle a cancer diagnosis, as if any of us could handle that. Or who among us is strong enough to handle a miscarriage, or losing our job, or heartbreak, as if that's the only way we could ever know God? When we throw around the words, God won't give you more than you can handle, it implies that God is giving us suffering for some benefit that we just can't possibly understand yet. And friends... If I understand the gospel, that does not line up with who I know God to be. Jesus went out of his way every day of his ministry to heal the sick, to feed the poor, to end suffering on this earth. He tried to right wrong systems. 
He saw those who were not being seen. He cast out demons, and he invited us to do the same. Jesus was not in the business of condoning our suffering. He worked every day to end our suffering. You've heard it said, God will not give you more than you can handle. But the simple fact of the matter is, those words don't come from Scripture. And those words don't paint a good and gracious God. A God who longs for your well-being. A God who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death and who died on the cross for you. A God who was faithful to the Israelites even when they were not faithful in return. So what can we say? If we can't say God won't give you more than you can handle, what can we say when we're faced with suffering? For our country is experiencing temperatures colder than we've seen in years, and the poorest among us are the most vulnerable. And we saw another headline this week for a homophobic and racist hate crime in the news. And we are so used to gun violence that we are desensitized. And that is not even to make mention of the grief and the anxiety and the loneliness that we bring into this room week after week after week. We are not strangers to suffering. So if Paul was not trying to say that God will not give us more than we can handle, what do we say when the world falls apart? I wish... I wish there was a simple catchphrase that could fit on a bumper sticker and be used to address moments of suffering, but I don't know that there is. Instead, I think the best we can do is acknowledge that the world is not as it should be. Continue to speak love and continue showing up for one another. For when we do, we embody a faithful God, a faithful love. And God is always present in that. I saw that kind of resilient love, the kind that keeps showing up when I was in high school. My mom's best friend was diagnosed with cancer, pancreatic cancer. Her name was Julie, and she and my mom looked like twins. When they were in the sanctuary together, a distance away, I honestly could not pick out which one was my mom. They would walk together every morning for an hour before work and call each other in the afternoon and leave voicemails saying what they were cooking for dinner. Beans and rice, homemade salsa, taco salad. <laughs> and then Julie started to lose weight. And Julie's body started to ache. My mom's a cancer nurse, and I think she saw the writing on the walls. For the next year, our lives revolved around Julie and her two sons. One was my brother's age, and one was in middle school. My mom folded a thousand paper cranes for Julie. She buzzed her head for her when that time came. She helped her find the best hospice house when that time came. She ran carpool for her when that time came. You all have been there. Then a few months before Julie passed, she asked my mom to come over 
When my mom got to the house, there were six other women there, a handful from church, a couple from the neighborhood, and one from Julie's high school days. Julie said to them, I'm not going to be around to raise my boys. I won't be around to help them pick out a tie for prom or to talk to them about dating in college. I won't be around when they get their hearts broken or when they don't remember how to bake a birthday cake. I won't be around when they fall in love and have children of their own. I won't even be around when they graduate high school. I won't be around, so I'm wondering if you could be. That morning, they formed what they call the Council of Moms, which is inspired by a book called The Council of Dads. And together, those six women promised Julie that they would be there for her two boys. And they have. When John was on the homecoming court, the moms were in the football stands. And when Evan needed to get his driver's license, the moms helped him practice. And when John left for college, the moms sent him with a handful of recipes, all of their cell phone numbers, and a hamper full of cleaning supplies that they prayed he'd use. <laughs> Those moms could never replace Julie. And their presence could not undo the suffering they had all experienced, or even minimize their grief. But what they could do is make sure that those boys knew they were not alone. And what they could do was make sure that those boys knew that they were loved by God and by them. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. But I don't think catchphrases is what our deepest suffering really needs anyhow. Instead, I think we're called to keep showing up for each other and to continue speaking love into broken places. And fortunately, I see you all do that all the time. You all show up at funerals and you tell stories. You volunteer all over the city because suffering cannot have the last word. You show up in hospital rooms, at bedsides, at youth group dinners, and in Sunday school classrooms. You deliver flowers and communion and you pray for one another. You all keep showing up, and thanks be to God for that, because when you do, we're able to see God's love. For the simple truth of it is, sometimes life does give us more than we can handle. Miscarriages are more than we can handle. Divorce feels like more than we can handle. The death of a child is always more than we can handle. Depression and anxiety and addiction feel like more than we can handle. The list goes on. Sometimes life gives us more than we can handle. And in those moments, God gives us people to hold on to and a church to call home. God gives us casseroles, carpools, substitutes, and a council of moms. It does not take suffering away. For our bodies are frail. And sin comes easily to humanity. But it does remind us that the God of the Gospels is faithful and that we are never alone. So friends, remember that when the Israelites were in slavery, God was there. 
And when they walked through the waters of the Red Sea to freedom, God was there. And when Jesus was alone in the wilderness, tempted and hungry, God was there. And when he was surrounded by a joyful crowd, God was there. And when the disciples were in that upper room, terrified and afraid, God was there. And when they left that room to start the church, God was there. And on your best day, God will be there. And when the world falls apart, and you feel like life is too much to handle, God will be there. Beside you and beneath you, above you and before you. Remember that. Say that. You are not alone. You are loved. And that is enough. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.